Welcome back to the North Coast Church Podcast as we continue in our sermon series, Checkmate, going through the letters of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. We would love to prepare you for today's message. Simply go to our website or you can use our mobile app to download our message notes. While you're there, we encourage you to fill out a connection card or you can put in your prayer request. If you'd like to support the ministries of North Coast Church, you can give online as well. Now let's join Pastor Chris Brown for today's message. There are multiple conversations that are starting to form after the meeting. You can see pockets of people that are gathering together, like-minded people. I mean, after all, everyone in this circle assumes that everyone in this circle thinks like me, agrees with me, and is going to take a stand with me. It's passionate, it's heated, and yet voices are kept at a lower decibel. You don't want them to hear, or others, or they that may be in the room. And everything is starting to build in this little church. It's about to split. I mean, after all, these are issues worth fighting over. The future of the church, the life of the church is at stake. If we don't get this one right, Christianity or church as it seems to be may end forever. And so there's things that are said that shouldn't have been said. There are shots that are taken. There are words that are fired. There's hurt that's gonna happen. But after all, isn't this what we're called to do? We're called to take a stand. We're called to fight. We're called to make sure the truth is gonna be preserved and everyone starts to get fragmented in this little circle. It's gonna get to a point where a group's gonna be asked to leave and the church will have a split. Next week, you're gonna see that. Next week, you're gonna see a group that's just been said, look, you have no part of us anymore. But now the problem continues because now there's a group of Christians that still have a Christianity where we can dislike them and they and those and those that don't agree with and those that refuse to stand and those that are so easily duped. I mean, we expect this from the world, but for Christians, come on, think, get back into the word. How are you so easily led astray? How are you so gullible? How is their rhetoric deceiving you? And then that where you are, then are you really a Christian? And the line is now drawn in the sand. And the elder statesman, John himself, the last of the disciple that is left alive at this time is caught in the middle of the crosshairs of this church split. So he gives us five pages five pages to bring us back to what is the truth? What is it we stand on? What is it worth fighting for? And maybe more importantly, how do we stand and how do we fight? And oh, Church North Coast Online today, we come to another doozy. We come to another one that we're going to sit back with our thing of popcorn, our Diet Coke. We're going to watch what's happening. We're going to see what the Word of God was written to them for, what it said to them, and how it applies to us today. The church has split. There's a group of Christians that feel like they have every right to be Christians and yet withhold love from other Christians, look down on other Christians because they're not standing for what we stood for. And John is only getting to chapter two. And as as he's writing to this church that is spread out across the area and region of Ephesus, he's starting to get to the heart of the matter. And maybe today, maybe today, If you think, man, these first two minutes really sound like the church in America today, then maybe today we also can get back to the heart of the matter if, 
If I challenge you the first two weeks, can we suspend what we think makes us a Christian, what Christianity is? Can we just put a pause to it for these moments and come back to the source, come back to the instructions, come back to the one who walked with Jesus, who sat with Jesus, the one who now writes his church. Here's what's missing. And if it's missing from your Christianity, where's your walk with God? Where's the work of the Spirit in your life? Oh, there's so much to unpack. Go ahead and get a Bible. Open it to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. We're inviting into the midst of a church split. I'm going to pick it up at verse 9, but just to recap, I'm going to start at verse 7. Um, We left off on 7 and 8 last week. Oh, this is going to be one for you and I to jump into and walk out of. And then, then we're going to have a chance to get in our little holy huddles and go, do I agree with the Bible or not? Or of course I agree with the Bible, but do I agree with the way Chris taught it? And then ask yourself, if you disagree with the way Chris taught it, by all means, at least go back to scripture and back up and verify why I was wrong in seeing scripture this way. And that's why we're gonna go through verse through verse and why you are right in believing scripture, maybe differently. Let's go back to the source, push a pause button on what we think we know about Christianity and just come back to 1 John chapter two. Go back to the last few verses last week. Chapter seven, dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Yet I'm writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you because the darkness is passing and true light is already shining. I know we covered it just at the end of last week, but John goes, oh, church, look, I need to bring you back to an old command. It's not a new command. It's an old command. And yet it's a new command. And you're like, I think the old guy needs a rest before he writes anymore. And John goes, no, what was the gospel? What did you hear at the very beginning that drew you to Christ? That God so loved the world that he gave his son, that his son is love that we come to a place of asking forgiveness and walking with the son and that love is in us. That's the command you heard from the beginning. That's not new, but I'm gonna title it the new command. Why? Because in chapter 14 of his last book, the gospel of John, John said, I was there in the upper room. I was there when Jesus said, a new command I give to you. You must, circle, highlight, underline, must love each other as I have loved you. By this Everyone will know you're truly a Christian if you love one another the way I loved you. John said, look, I'm not writing anything new. You heard it from the beginning. Jesus called it a new command. Because we have his love in us, we're gonna love people differently. And then he takes us into new verses, focusing on, so let me show you where you are today. Verse nine, so anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in darkness. And anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in light. And there is nothing in them that makes them stumble. But anyone who hates his brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going. Circle, highlight, underline. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has, circle this, blinded them. So John has taken two sides to this coin. Once again, he says, anyone who claims, he's gonna say this six times in these five little pages. We saw it last week. Anyone who claims to walk in the light, walking with Christ, 
but your lifestyle is in sin, you're walking in darkness, you're a liar. The truth isn't in you. You're deceiving yourself and you're making God out to be a liar. And last week we looked at, find out what your sin is, confess your sin, turn from it, and look at grace, mercy, and freedom that you get on the other side of it. Look at the walk with Christ you get when you get sin out of your walk. And now he says again, so you say, yeah, I'm a Christian, so I'm walking with the God of love, but I'm hating a brother or sister. He's talking about Christians in the family of God here. You're once again making yourself out to be a liar. There's no light in you. In fact, I think you've deceived yourself. You've blinded yourself. You're stumbling along in your Christian walk and you can't even see what you're doing and where you're going. Right here is where all of us stop, look at these verses and go, oh, that sounds dangerous. Anyone who hates his brother or sister, yep, not me, not me. I don't hate. You know, I don't walk around with anger. I don't walk around with rage, waiting to get my hands around someone's neck. I'm not a person walking around with all this animosity, just waiting to unleash my, my lightning bolts and my thunder on somebody. No, no, it's, it's just not there. But John's not saying you walk around with this hatred burning in you. By definition and by how he's writing, he simply says, are you withholding love towards others in the family? Are you not acting in a loving way toward others in the family? How can you say you're loving God the Father when you're not acting in love toward his kids? Don't come over to my house, hang out with me, want to build a great relationship with me. And one of my daughters walk in and you're like, oh, that's your daughter? Well, I've seen her around church. That girl bugs me. She drives me crazy. I see the way she dyes her hairs or the tattoos she has on her arm. And I see the way that she, and she's, man, I've never liked her. And I'm sitting there going, whoa, well, you're telling, you know, that's my daughter. And then you turn to me and go, we should hang out more, man. I just feel like hanging out with you is a lot of fun. And I'm like, you know what? I don't like you. I don't like to hang out with you. I'm going to walk you to the door. I'm going to hope you forget how to get to my house. Don't walk into my house and be anti-loving toward one of my kids and expect you and I to be okay. We're not gonna be okay. I would much rather you dislike me than dislike one of my kids. And yet John's not even talking about showing animosity or hatred. He's saying, is there a group in the church today that you are not gonna be loving toward? Is there a group of those following Christ that you go, I'm gonna withhold love from them? I'm gonna look down on them because of their belief, their stand, their rhetoric, their whatever, I'm gonna be unloving toward. John goes, now this is the danger because you're stumbling around in the darkness. You're blinded and you don't even get it. You're withholding as we're about to find out God's love in your life. You're not fully walking in it because you're withholding it from his kids. Just taking these verses, I just, I just wanna break this down really quick on this right now. Christianity, go to your note sheets. Love, is it in you? Let's look at just this, this gut check. Christianity is a claim proven by our obedience and our love for others. Christianity is simply a claim. Anyone can claim to be a Christian. Anyone can claim. Are you a Christian? What is it? It means you're following, yeah, I'm a Christian. I don't, I don't think you are. You didn't even know what it was. That's right, I claim to be a Christian. How many people in our country today just claim to be Christian? How many people self-identify, checking in a box, and what religion you know that you adhere to? I'm a Christian. It's simply a claim. Twice now, John has done what he's gonna do six times in this little book. If you claim to be walking the light, but you're living in sin, you're lying. Now he says again, if you claim to be walking with the source of love, but you're not loving others, I'm telling you, 
You're lying. The love isn't in you. You're stumbling in darkness. Christianity is just a claim and it needs to be proven by our obedience and our love for others. It's proven by both our obedience and our love for others. This, this is where, listen to me, we've got to stop because we have been so convinced by what we think makes us a Christian or why I'm a Christian or why I'm a good Christian. John is writing to a group of people that have been through a split. He's writing through a group of people where a bunch of harsh words have been shared back and forth. He's writing to a group of people where within the church, shots have been fired. People have taken different polls, different votes, different positions, and some have been asked to leave. And now there's a lot of hurt in the church. And now there's a group that seems to be living, calling themselves followers of Christ, but they're not loving toward Christ's family, God's children. And John steps in and goes, you've got to really stop yourself, check yourself. What makes you a Christian? A claim, a belief in a God, knowing that Jesus died on the cross and rose again? The demons believe all that. What makes you a Christian? He goes, let me tell you what sets our faith apart from demon faith and our claim, maybe from anyone who can claim to be a Christian. And last week we looked at it. Obedience is going to be in your life. And now this week, he says, loving others is going to be a part of your life because this is exactly what Jesus stated. And John was there at the table. That's last night in the upper room. By this, everyone will know that you truly are a disciple by the way you love one another. Jesus says, there's going to be a lot of people claiming to follow me. Is their life following me? And are they loving each other? John's just writing down what Jesus said. It shouldn't surprise us. The Apostle Paul in Galatians 5, I didn't have time this week to get note sheet together and to get all the verses that usually I try to go with it, but you can write Galatians 5. I believe it's 14. Um, Paul says, this is love. This is how we know. I want to read it because now I'm trying to quote it. Um, For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbors yourself. The entire law is summed up in this, love your neighbors yourself. We got the, the guy who wrote more words in the New Testament or more books in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, we got Jesus and we got the last of the disciples all lining up and going, here's how you know you're a Christian. How are you loving others? We may be sitting in our chair going, well, I, I know I'm a Christian because I said a prayer 20 years ago. I don't, I don't have verses for that. I just don't. I think saying a prayer can begin an amazing relationship, an amazing repentance and salvation but John is writing a book to separate those that are within the church and left the church. And they're still going, are you or aren't you in this? Or write it down this way. The life of Christ will produce obedience like his and love like his. That's what the life of Christ does. What does the Holy Spirit do in our life? What does the Holy Spirit? Why do we have it? Oh, because at the end of our life, when we die, our bodies are going to go through a big scanner. Beep, beep. If you got the spirit, you go one way. Oh, oh. If you don't have the spirit, you go the other way. That's why the Holy Spirit, that's not why the Holy Spirit's in our life. Why is the Holy Spirit in our life? To protect us from bad things happening. No, the Holy Spirit may not and usually doesn't protect us from bad things happening. What does the Holy Spirit do? Who is the Holy Spirit? It's the very life of Christ in us. To what? Produce obedience like his and love like his. John's just going back saying, you say you are a Christian in Christ, Christ in you. 
Your life's not going to be perfect, but man, you're getting rid of the wrong in your life, the darkness as he calls in your life, and you're walking in the light. The Holy Spirit's going to produce that in your life. You know what else the Holy Spirit's going to produce? You're going to become a much more loving person, not because you've worked really hard on watching your language and how you feel toward others, but because the Spirit is producing that in your life. This is why 22 times in this book, 11 times at the Last Supper, we have the word remain, 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 remain. You're not supposed to come to understand who Jesus is and then go muster up a better life, a better morality and better behavior. Jesus came and died on the cross because of your behavior and your morality. He puts his spirit in us. So if we remain, 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 he produces a life of obedience and love. All John is doing is taking us back to that really simple fact. Is the Holy Spirit producing more obedience in your life? And are you becoming a much more loving person? Then I know you're walking the spirit. But if you claim to be in Christ and Christ in you, and you have no problem walking in sin, and you've got a large group of people that you're not going to show love to, and you're not going to help, and you're going to withhold love from, he goes, I don't think the Holy Spirit's in your life. It's simply a claim. Christianity can't be a claim. It has to be the work of Christ. <laughs> John's just saying, is it there? Is it there? Here's my problem, though. <laughs> It's hard to love people. It has been said that Christianity would be easy if it wasn't for other Christians. Yeah, it is hard to love people. And I tell you, we live in a day and age where it gets harder and harder to love people. Why? Because you know more about people than ever before and you know more people than ever before. I mean, I mean just go back. It was just a few hundred years ago where who you know was who you bumped into and what you knew about them is what they wanted to divulge. That was it. That was it. We live in a day and age now where we don't have to know a person to know a person. We can follow them. We can watch them on X, used to be Twitter. We can watch them on Instagram. We can do their Facebook if you're still on that. We can do social media. We can follow them, know where they are, what they're doing, where they're vacationing, who's in their life, what they're having. We can find out so much about people. The entire world now we find out about. We know what's happening in other countries. I know the rifts or the wars going on in other countries. We can make a very clear opinion in our mind about what's going on in Gaza or versus Israel. And we can, depending on what we want to watch, what we listen to, I can be involved. And it creates then a very easy, if I want, animosity towards sides or the others that are on the other side of the planet. We live in a day and age where we know more people and people groups and more about them than ever before. And what does that mean? It gets really hard to love people. Really hard to love people. Well, Chris, at first you're saying this is loving those in the church and now it seems people. John is specifically gonna talk about in the church in this passage but you're going to find so many other passages, including Jesus in the upper room, and you're going to find Jesus in Matthew 5, talking about how we love others and how we even love our enemies and those outside the church. How do we do this? I just wrote down three. Your list may be a whole lot longer. It's hard to love others when we are, number one, right. <laughs> when we're right. You know when it's hard to love others? When I'm right. Why? Chris, if you're right, why is it hard to love others? Because then I know others are wrong. 
and I have to listen to them or their slogans or their banners or their account or their Instagram or their whatever. And when I know people are wrong, it drives me crazy because why aren't they as smart as me, as gifted as me, as close to God like me to see things? I see everything in the right way, everything. And you do too. I'm not being sarcastic about that. If I saw something in the wrong way, I'm smart enough to change it. Therefore, I see everything in the right way. And there are a whole bunch of Christians that see things differently than me. Stupid. How are they so easily duped? Are they even Christians? Why aren't they standing for? Why aren't they believing in? How come they, and man, it doesn't take long when I know I'm right and there's a group from within the church because I expect more, I expect better from Christians. I expect them to see things the way I see things, to understand scripture the way I understand scripture, to come from my background, my way of life, my family of origin. Therefore, they will have truth like I have truth. I don't mind sometimes that the world is stupid. Kind of expect that they don't have the truth, but Christians, man, do they get under our skin. I expect them to be a lot more like Jesus because Jesus is a lot like Chris. Doesn't it get tough nowadays when I know more about Christians and more about their belief or more about where they stand or I watch more of what they post or I watch more of what they tweet or I watch more of what they put up and I just, man, we feed ourselves with this, people. And it becomes really difficult. John is trying to grab the entire church of Ephesus and goes, hey, we've had a major rift. We've had a major problem. We have people that are no longer a part of this church. But guess what? Shots have been fired. Words have been said. Now we got a large group of people claiming that they're going to be Christian and they don't have to love the church and love Christians. And they're going to keep taking shots at them. And now we have you and you're getting shell-shocked by this group of people. And you're wondering, what do I do? And John is trying to disarm everyone, not by lining up. Who do you hate? At what level you hate? Is there a good reason to hate? John is taking us the other way. Can we focus on God of love? Not reasons to hate. Because I tell you, when you know you're right and there's wrong, it's gonna be hard to love people when they're in this camp, isn't it? Isn't it? I'm gonna give you a second time where Christians, we find it tough to love people. When we're doing God's work. When we're doing God's work. When we're doing God's work, or I almost wrote God's will. When we're doing God's work or God's will, I find it's real easy for us to withhold love from other Christians. Now you say, Chris, that seems opposite. If we're doing God's work, God's will, we will be loving. No, not really. Because I hide behind while I'm doing God's work. See, in, in, in John's day and age, there are people that had to take a hard stand. Why? The future of Christianity and the church depended on it. And so if I'm doing God's will and God's work, there may be times I need to blow you out of the water. If I'm doing God's will and God's work, well, there are times that I'm gonna be armed and dangerous. And if you're in the wrong on this, to defend God and God's will and God's work, you're gonna get some shell fragments around me. But it's okay because I'm standing for truth. I'm standing for righteousness. And we need voices like that in the church back then. And when I'm standing for the right thing and God's right and God's righteousness, then it is open season on other Christians who just don't have the spiritual maturity that I have because I need to fire them up or fire them out. And do you see why John's the only one that can write this letter? I don't think there's a voice at the end of the first century 
in the Christian church that could write this letter. Because any other voice it came from, well, of course he would say that. It came from them. Of course he would say that. It came from them. And John writes, and now we go back two weeks ago, why he started chapter one with such passion, no pleasantries. Dear church, I, the apostle of John, beholded by Jesus, allowed to walk in the grace, mercy, and favor, bring you good tidings, great joy for all. No, it's not there. John starts from the beginning. I have seen, I have heard, I have touched, I have walked with truth. I'm writing you truth so that you can snap out of this because the church is in peril. And when John gets to the crux of this, after we look at sin in our life, he goes, look, there is no place in the church where you are doing God's work and God's will and you are not doing it God's way. There's no place there. There's no place there. I'm, I'm sorry for those of you that think there are things today so important that it's okay maybe to be unloving because it's righteous. I think John's gonna destroy that belief by the time we finish these verses. And John's trying to bring a church back to a higher calling, a higher truth in this. He's all, man, this'll get you. We will stand behind the work of God, the will of God, and we will forget the way of God. We will forget Jesus says a new command I give you. You must love each other as I have loved you, which gives us the right to be very unloving to Christians in the same way Jesus has been very unloving to you. And I can't find it. And you won't be able to find it either. Why is John so adamant on this? Because Jesus was so adamant on this. And 60 years after the cross and the empty tomb, the church has forgotten. Oh, they're going after what is right. And they're gonna stand for what is righteous. But they've forgotten the way. And John's bringing them back to the way on this one. I just gotta take a moment and say, North Coast, thank you. Huh. Oh, thank you. I know I'm talking to a church online and maybe you don't have much interconnectedness as our campuses do, but I promise you around North County and in Riverside County, and for those of you in Prescott, for those of you in Hillsboro, for those of you up in the Sacramento area that are meeting together, for those of you that are all meeting together, thank you. Because by definition, I think you've already lined up under a church that realizes, I don't know where I am here or here, and I know this and this, but we're gonna focus more on this. We're just gonna focus more on this. Our welcome desserts, we call brownies with the browns, at least on the Vista campus. We've got so many new families coming to North Coast right now. Why? Because they have heard that in spite of this, this, or this, or this, that this is what we've chosen. And they're leaving places that have said, no, you will be accepted and lovable if you think this way, stand this way, talk like this, believe like this, vote like this, walk like this. And our church has chosen to say, in your agreement with your backing, and we do it without your agreement and your backing, we will follow a God of love all the way to our own sacrifice. If that means bringing others to see the sacrifice they have to make and giving their lives to God and walking in love. Oh, dude, we are verse by verse. It takes us a long time. We're not gonna water down the truth. We're not gonna dismiss God's work. We're not gonna dismiss God's will. We're gonna see what's right and what's wrong very clearly. And we are gonna love those every step of the way that may disagree, that may disagree. 
And I love being part of a church that gets it to a point where now we are seeing so many people coming saying, I was told I could believe like this, vote like this, stand like this, and still find love here. I'm like, you probably can. Everyone's welcome here. Everyone's going to be loved. For God's sake, don't stay that way. Jesus died on the cross for all of us for a reason. There's something in all of our lives we got to look at, search for, find his truth, deny ours, get repentance and follow him. But you're going to be met with that truth with incredible love. Thank you. Thank you for being that type of church. Because the other way we find it's difficult to love people is, is when we are hurt. When we are hurt. This is a tough one because this one may be more personal. This is a tough one. Coming back from the holiday season, some of you are still reeling with, well, what happened over the holidays? Well, I saw family. And that's immediately meant by those that know everything. Oh, I'm so sorry. How'd it go? Because <laughs> a lot of times that's where our hurt comes from. That's where our pain comes from. What do you do when you're hurt? Well, you're hurt for good reason. Somebody has hurt you. Someone has hurt someone you loved. So the longer we spend in hurt, it's simply going to turn to anger. Anger. It doesn't take long in the midst of this than for anger to turn to bitterness. Where does bitterness go? Bitterness goes to resentment. And what happens once you live in bitterness and resentment towards the person that you're angry at because they hurt you? You live in resentment long enough, you're going to live in what? Vengeance. Vengeance. Vengeance? Vengeance? Vengeance. Spell it your way. I don't have a spell check button on the screen. I think I'm close to that. Vengeance. This is where hurt leads us. Hurt's always going to leave you to just being angry. You live in anger long enough, you get bitter. Why? Because they've hurt you and that makes you angry. It's still taking a toll on you. And once you live in bitterness for a while, it's just resentment of who they are and they're getting away from her and how they live or how they, and every time the name comes up or anything, anytime some old picture comes up, and then it just wants to get the vengeance. Why? Because someone deserves to get their butt kicked. Someone deserves to be punished. That's the way life works. This is just the way life works. And when this happens to from another Christian, how in the world do you love them? Well, you just don't. I don't know how I get through that. I don't know how I get over that, especially because a lot of times I was probably right and they were wrong because a lot of times I know what God's will and God's work is and they're outside of it. And all this comes into this place where we're sitting there in life going, Chris, you're right. I got a difficulty. I'm going to withhold love from a lot of people who believe and think about issues the way that I don't. They drive me crazy. It's nuts. I don't understand how a Christian can be at that in place and how can can think that way. I get it. Chris, you're right. In the way I stand for truth, stand for righteousness, stand for what is right, my words might not be seen loving by any, but you know what? It's because I'm standing for the truth. <sighs> yeah. Chris, you know I'm right. There's someone within the church that I do not like, someone in the family of God that I'm not hurt by, I'm angry at, I've got bitterness, resentment, and I just want someone to pull the rug out from under him. I just want to watch him fall. Yeah. Now, what do you do there? See, no sooner does John start talking about why we must love each other than these things come running into our mind. But what about when? I think that's why he goes next 
to a chorus or a poem. It's weird. In the book of 1 John, he breaks things down into lyrics. I don't know if he just came up with them. I don't know if he's bringing them from a known chorus at the time. I don't know why, and most scholars don't know why, John breaks his writing and just goes to lyrics. Except maybe some of the best emotional tools we have to cope with the hard things of life come out in the arts, in lyrics, in melodies. And John realizes it's gonna be hard for some of you to love when it's, it's up against that list. And he breaks out into these stanzas. Look at this now in verse 12. I am writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. Next to his name, write two, chapter two, or just verse two. Remember last week, verse two, right above this, he said, don't worry when you sin, when you sin, you come to God. There's a great courtroom. Jesus Christ is both our defender and he will take our punishment. He is our atonement. And we get to walk in the continual work of the cross of grace and freedom. Oh, dear children, I'm writing to you because let's just talk about you for a second. Your sins have been forgiven. Not because you earned it, not because you did anything for it on account of his name. I know I just touched a, a, a spot on you. We, we just pushed a button. You've now got a people group or someone in mind that you are withholding love from because they are just dead wrong. They're anti the work of God, the will of God. They have hurt you. There's bitterness, there's anger, there's resentment in the family or what they've done to your family. It's, it's time just to get a little chorus going. I'm writing you, dear children, to bring you back to your sins are forgiven. Not because you earned it, not because you deserved it on account of his name. I'm writing to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you young men because you have overcome the evil one. Oh, I'm writing to you dear children because you know the father. I write to you fathers because you know whom you know him who is from the beginning. And I write to you young men because you are strong and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. What are these stanzas about? I don't think he's writing to small children, adolescents, adults. Scholars will disagree on some of this. As I see it in context, as I've read and studied, I think what he's separating here is just spiritual maturity. Look, I'm writing to all of you, and some of you are brand new Christians. I'm writing to all of you, and some of you are adolescents. Some of you have been walking with God for some years. And I'm writing to some of you who have some maturity, who've been walking with God to a point you know him. You know him. Can I bring you back to where that maturity is and how you got there? If this is simply the path of spiritual growth, spiritual maturity, the longer you walk with God then, let's just write down what he's doing here. The path of spiritual growth is, first of all, forgiveness and adoption. Forgiveness and adoption. I'm writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven and you know the Father. What is the first step of coming to Jesus and walking with God? Realizing I'm a sinner, I need forgiveness. He paid for my sin. What am I now? You're a slave that will work for God the rest of your life. No, no, no. 
You are adopted. You are a son or daughter. You are heir to the throne. In spite of you and what you've done and where you've come from, you are loved, so loved that you're brought into the family. So when we're talking about loving others, let's go to the very first step of how you were loved. You were forgiven and you were given what you couldn't earn, what you couldn't hope for, what you could never live up to or deserve. You were adopted. He then says this, and as path of spiritual growth is getting in the word until the word is in you. You get in the word until the word is in you. At the end of verse 14, I am writing to you young men because you are strong. The word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. We need to get into the word until the word is in us. Christianity shouldn't be saying a prayer and then just go live like hell because one day you get heaven. He's like, man, get into the word. What's the big deal about getting into life groups? What's the big deal about getting into the word and studying this? What's the big deal about having your own Bible that you could circle, highlight, and underline in that? And I'm glad you asked because it's number three because then we can overcome our sins. <laughs> we overcome our sins. Well, I don't need to get in the word to do that. You don't know what sin is until you're in the word. Without the word of God, we define right and wrong. And when we define right or wrong, why in the world are we in the word? Why do we need God if I'm defining right or wrong? See, I'm in the word and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The more I'm in the Bible, the more the word is in me. The more I'm in the word, the living word is in me. And then the more my eyes start to open, because as John just said, you're walking away from darkness and you're gonna see the light more clear and more clear and more clear and it's gonna grow in you and it's gonna live in you and you're gonna see errors your way. You're gonna see sins that you wanna confess because you walk more in love, more in grace, more in mercy. And he goes, then in that process there, you're going to be walking in the word and spirit. The more you get the darkness out of our life, now we're walking in the word, now we're walking in the spirit. Why is it so many of us call ourselves Christians, but we don't know if the spirit's living in us? I can't tangibly point at the spirit working in me. Is the spirit changing my habits, my sins, and love? I don't know. Why don't we know? Because we're staying at an infant stage. I got my sins forgiven and I'm a son or daughter. Well, don't stay as a spiritual baby. Grow in this. Walk in this. Because then he says this. Then we're going to be knowing God. I write to you fathers. I write to you older, mature in the faith. Simply put, you know God. Have you ever had an old saint in the church, someone in your Christian life, and it just seems like they know big G, like they walk with God. And if you ever ask them, how's that work? Whatever their answer is, I promise it's gonna be this, time, time. The more I walked with Amy, the more I knew Amy, the more I knew Amy, the more I fell in love with Amy, the more I fell in love with Amy, the more I sensed love from Amy, the more, 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 the more. It's just time. I think John's writing, I've asked you to love some people that are unlovable. They've made it really hard to love. I've just pushed a button, haven't I? Can I take you back to you? Can I take you back to you've been forgiven? You've been adopted. You've been loved when it was unlovable. Come on, you made it really hard. Can I take you back to getting in the word, walking the word? Now, this isn't a one, two, three, four, five. These things overlap. I'm doing this, I'm doing this. I'm constantly going back to forgiveness in my life. That wasn't just a one-time thing. We hit that last week. I'm constantly someone that sometimes misses the word, but I'm walking the spirit and I gotta get back in the word. But John is writing saying, let me tell you wherever you are in the spiritual life, the goal is to walk more and more with God. Two reasons. 
this is how you're gonna learn to forgive others because you're gonna see and know what you've been forgiven. And if God has forgiven me and taking me from hell to heaven, then I can at least forgive them and not withhold love. Probably won't make it my best friend, probably won't invite them over for the Super Bowl, but I'm not gonna withhold love from them because look what's been given me. But Chris, what about those that had hurt? That's, well, that's the beauty. Then God goes, let me revenge. Why are you gonna do vengeance? The vengeance you want is probably gonna lock you up for eight to 10. God goes, let me bring vengeance. No one prosecutes me. Turn it over to God. He does a better job at vengeance than you. And, and, and he may or may not, but it's his. He goes, can I remind you of who you were and the path that you're on? And can I also remind you the path you need to devote yourself to so that you will just know God? Not a book, a religion, a claim. You know God. Why? Because love has a source. And it's not you. I think the other reason Paul, uh, John gets us in the lyrics is because he doesn't want us to go out and go, that's right, good job, Chris. We're gonna go be more loving. I can work on that. I can work on being more loving. No, love has a source and it's not you. We don't need you to be a more loving person. We stink at loving, we just do. Because I'm right and you're wrong and I wanna do justice and I wanna stand for things and it doesn't matter how I put you down to do it or because you've hurt me or I'm bitter and angry. We're just lousy at loving each other. Love has a source. <laughs> ooh, ooh, remember those old Gatorade commercials? They were all done in black and white and they give you that like six seconds left on the clock and you're bringing the ball up the court and the game's tied and then you go to the line and or it's fourth and goal, you know, no time left on the clock. You got this, ah! They always have these old Gatorade commercials where the game's on the line. And then it showed the little drops of sweat or little blood over the eyebrow. And the sweat and the blood was yellow or orange or purple. Everything was in black and white, but Gatorade was coming out of you. Remember that? And then it just said, Gatorade, is it in you? <gasps> I'm gonna go drink me some Gatorade. Gotta get it in me. So for those moments, for those crunch times, when, when everything's on the line and when I'm being squeezed, what comes out of me? Gatorade, <laughs> Gatorade. This is what John's saying. <laughs> John is simply, I think, getting us lyrics to ask a question. Is it in you? Is it in you? Is love in you? It's where he started. You're claiming to walk in love. You're claiming to walk in God. But look, you're not loving other Christians. How in the world can you have the Father's love in you if you're not loving his kids? Don't you understand how directly opposite your lifestyle is to your claim? But you don't get it because you're filled with some hurt, some anger, some bitterness, some right, some justice that you have, even righteousness in your life. And it's blinded you to what the original command was. It's an old command, but it's a new command because Jesus says a new command, but it's the command you heard from the very beginning. We must love each other as Christ loved us. So when Jesus stops loving you, you can stop loving others. But until then, we can't. There's no escape clause. There's no loophole. It doesn't matter how ignorant, how bad, how wrong. I still don't withhold on from them. Oh, you can't do that, can you? Let me tell you, it's a path that you gotta be on to do that. But the more you walk in this path and who God is, is it, is it in you? <laughs> when you're squeezed, the little Jesus drops come out of you. 
when you're pressured, do little Jesus drops come out from you? Oh, when you're put on the spot against those that you can't believe they think and act like that, do little Jesus words come out of you? Are you known as a loving person? Or are you known for the righteousness you stand for, for the judgment that you're fighting for? Or are you known as a loving person? Okay, just ask ourselves, am I seen and known as a loving person? I've had so many encounters of this at North Coast. I was, I was meeting a guy, for a, a guy for a possible job site. He owns a construction company, kind of rough, tumbling dude. And, and we had this appointment set up and he was kind of hurrying. And I'm like, hey, you got a place to go? He goes, ah, tomorrow morning, we're all leaving. Uh, family's got a big a beach house. It's a rental on the East Coast. We're all going with adult kids and their kids and everything. And we're going to hang out for like eight days. And I'm like, that's amazing. And then he does that guy thing. Because, you know, guys talking to guys, we can't just share and we can't be emotional. So he does that. And I've seen it long enough just to take the time and go, what is that? Give it time. It wants to come out. We just don't like it to come out. So you did a little question. What's going on? It wasn't many years ago before my family couldn't stand being around me. There's no way I would be invited to a family vacation or a family function. It was only a vacation if I wasn't there. But Chris, what God has done in my life in these last few years, I am so excited to leave tomorrow and get with my family because they want me. <gasps> it got in them. It got in them. Before whatever squeeze was happening, he came out of them. <laughs> but it got in him. Why? Because he started this path. <gasps> there's a retired colonel. I didn't ask permission, so I can't give it too much detail. It just hit me. But there's a retired colonel that walks the campus of Vista that if I got a moment, I'll go toward him. But if I don't have a moment, I try to avoid him because it'll take a moment. Because when he sees me, he wants a big hug. And somewhere in that big hug, he will almost inevitably, eight out of 10 times say, I got to tell you how much this church. Now you got to know this dude. He was the epitome of the core. Is an amazing, hard man, hard Marine. And he took the core home with him every night. He was a hard dad. And he has trouble getting the words out now about the type of grandpa he can now be. And the father that he is today it got in him. It got in him. He doesn't claim any of it him. When he gives me a hug, he wants to run through this because of what's there. John's not telling us, make a list out of the people that anger you, the things that are hateful, the things you dislike, and now let's work on it. No, no, John immediately says, you're not going to work on it. It's not going to be in you. This has got to be in you. This is spiritual growth. This is spiritual maturity. So let me bring you back to my beginning. You say you walk with a God of love, but you're withholding love from Christians. I don't think it's in you. I don't know where you are in this process. And he gives us one more shot fired here. So do not love the world or anything in the world. 
If anyone loves the world, the love for the Father is not in them. What? Don't love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love for the Father is not in them. I don't know what this has to do with anything. I think he's switching gears. I think he's starting a whole new topic. But I've learned because I got some people in my life that do this. Just have patience. Maybe it'll come around. Maybe it'll come around. My wife does this. Didn't ask permission on that either. Beautiful creature inside and out. She's amazing. But she will start conversations going, maybe we can do both of them. I think we can pull it off, but we'll have to tell Barrick because of his school and he's going to have to fend for himself for those days. That's how the conversation starts. Now, I've learned over 30 years just to be patient and listen because it connects to a conversation we've had maybe hours ago, maybe days but that conversation still be in her head and she's just opened the door and let me back in on it. And I'm like, oh, you're talking about seven hours ago when we talked about in July, if we can, okay, okay. Or you're talking, all right, I go there. And we got an executive pastor here. I won't say his name because I love Kirk, but he'll do the same thing sometimes. We'll be in the office and then he goes, you know what? I think if we plan this, let's go ahead and do it and let's just carry it. And I'm like, okay, that was yesterday's meeting at eight. You're going back to yesterday's meeting at eight. I'm with you, I'm with you. That, that's all John is doing. John's not changing a topic. John's on the same course. Follow this. Patience with this. If you love the world or anything in the world, the love of the Father's done. I love a lot of things in the world. I love fishing in the world. I love sushi in the world. I love deep dish pizzas in the world. Too much of it. I can't love any of that right now. Man, I love things in the world. My people that I love are in the world. You guys are in the world. I love a lot of stuff in the world. Wait, Jesus loved the world. Wait, for God so loved the world that he gave. What's he talking about? Patience? Patience? anyone loves the world or anything in the world, the love of the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, he's defining it, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires, circle, highlight, underline, pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. What's he talking about? Write it down. He's ending, at least for today, Avoid the foolish choice. The thinking of this world will make it very easy for us not to obey God and give us reasons not to love others. The thinking, I'm gonna leave that up there, the thinking of this world. If you're loving that, what am I loving in the world? It's the, 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 what your flesh wants, what your eyes covet and do, the pride of life. It is the thinking, the system of this world that is anti-God. That is what's gonna make it easy not to obey God because you're gonna give into your flesh, your wants, your desires, what you wanna see and do. And it's gonna give us every reason not to love others because this world system is set up to create anger, bitterness, animosity. It's what sells. The more you plug into the system, the thinking of this world, two things. It's gonna be hard to be obedient and it's gonna be really hard to love others because the world is gonna fuel, fuel your fire of hatred, animosity, how could they? I gotta do something now. The church is gonna end if we don't. People, God does not need us to defend him. He needs us to be vehicles of love for him. I've said it before. I've found it for four years in my life being an amazing thing. We have to watch closely the news we take in and the social media that we are on for one week, listen, before you roll your eyes, for one week, 
listen to your news source and your social media through the lens of this. Is it anti a person or anti people? Just listen to it. Is what you're feeding yourself on your phone, on your news, on your social media, how much of it is anti-person or anti-people? The them, the they, and what they're doing, and to expose them. Do you know this word stumbling in darkness is scandalon? <laughs> scandalon, it's where we get our word scandal. The more you're involved in the scandal, guess what? It's gonna be impossible to love people. Why? Because they're them, they. How much are we taking in of the world system that's keeping us from being the person God's called us to be and loving the people God's called us to love? We're drinking poison on a daily basis and we're wondering why people see us as poisonous. We're drinking anger and animosity and bitterness on a daily basis and we're wondering why people see us as angry people. We're known more for our cause than for our love. We're no more for winning points than winning people. Some of you just love winning points. There's no point system in heaven. They're just people. Which brings us to John's last phrase. He simply says, the world and its desires pass away. Whoever does the will of God lives forever. What do you have in your life that's eternal? Those are things we better be investing in. What is in your life that lasts forever? Three things. Three things. There are three eternal investments in our lives. The Holy Spirit, God's word, and people. The Holy Spirit, God's word, and people. There's nothing else in your life that's eternal. Everything else is passing away. Why is our reputation, our fuel, what we're known for is investing in the temporary when these are what's eternal? Is it in you? John's bringing us back. You know what's gonna conquer people? Love, love. You know where we get that from? Leaning into the Holy Spirit. You know where we grow with God to know him, to walk with the source of love? God's word, that's it. 200 years from now, there will be nothing else that you touch and that you deal with in your life except for these three things. We've got to stop majoring in the minors. We've got to start loving people not our love, his. We've got to stop listening, our entertainment, our news, and our media that is just stirring the pot of them and they and the scandals and what's happening. But Chris, that's really important. It is important stuff, but it's temporary. I've always told you, get involved in the temporary, never ever tarnishing the eternal. Get involved in the temporary as long as you can keep your love, maintain your love, and be seen as loving, and be seen as loving. I doubt if very many of us can. I can't, I can't. Unplugged it all four years ago. It has done the most amazing thing. I've had people go, in the last few years, it seems like your teaching's gone up a notch. No, my walk in the spirit's gone up a notch. Why? I got rid of junk. I got rid of them and they that I was seeing and hearing all the time. All the time, it was just stirring the pot. This world system stands in the way of your love for God and it'll make it easy not to be obedient and easy not to love others. And John says, and it's temporary. It's temporary. The issues of today that are so important are the issues of today and they're temporary. 
be involved lovingly. If you can't be involved lovingly, get out because you're supposed to win people, not win your points of argument. The church is split. And John writes, we're only in chapter two. This is how you know you're walking in the source. Is it in you? It will come out when you're squeezed. It will come out when the pressure's on. Love will come out if love is in you. Is it your love? <laughs> well, that ain't coming out then. Loving others is not a choice. It's not extracurricular. It's not if we got to go to the next level. It is a prerequisite and a command if you're going to be a Christian. It's step one because he's the God of love. Man, what a passage. We got work to do because all of us right now go, I know who you're talking about. Remember how you've been forgiven. Remember you've been adopted. Give it to a God of justice and mercy. Give it to a God of great revenge. Get the bitterness and the hurt out. You've got to face it. You got to deal with it. You got to let it go. And you got to grab onto the eternal. Otherwise, this temporary is going to suck the life out of you, not your life, his. And you're going to wonder why the spirit's not in you. And John goes, I just told you. Is it in you? Wow. We'll see you guys next week. Father, may we be a people. God, it is so obvious. We spend more time in the world system than we do in your word. No wonder why we are people of anger, hurt, and animosity. It's what we feed our souls on. May we get people that get out of the world and into your word. May we get people that draw and walk with you so that we may know you and that your love will be in us. And then let that love accomplish whatever you want that love to accomplish in our lives and through our lives. May you find that the pursuit that the investment of our lives, your glory, your work, not ours. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray this message has been encouraging to you and will help you in your day-to-day walk with Jesus. Thanks for joining us, and we look forward to having you back next week.